Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. We are continuing through Revelation 13. Last week we were looking at the first part of Revelation 13. This is talking about, you call them Thing One. Should we uh, call them Beast One? (laughs) Beast One, Beast Two, yeah. Beast One, Beast Two. So today we're going to be jumping into Beast Two. So this is going to be starting at chapter 13 verses 11 through 18. We'll probably, we'll finish out chapter 13, hopefully get into the first verse at least of chapter 14 today. But this second part of chapter 13 is really describing this beast that's coming out of the land and it's causing all to worship the first beast. So these two beasts are, they're both bad, but they're working together. They're not competing. Beasts. Yes. Yeah, they are. They, they work together quite significantly. Yeah. Hey, you know what, Vinny, before we go any further, Oh, I, I got to confess something that you're wearing a Red Sox shirt right now. Yeah. Jacket. Well, yeah, it's so actually good. worse than that. It's, it's not, I, I just can't hide the truth from me any longer. Patriots um, underwear. No, no, close though. <laughs> tidy ones. Uh, Your Bill no, Belichick no, tidy ones. No, <laughs> okay. no, no. Right this is the first time we've done an episode together in what two and a half years now, where I'm wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wasn't yeah. far off. Okay. No, you, you were really close. Yeah, no, I just got back from work. I didn't have time to change. So you're not just I'm wearing, wearing shorts. Pants. Yeah, yeah. I usually do this, and sh- it's. Um, I don't. I feel kind of weird. It's COVID business casual is what shorts are now. Yeah, I was doing that before COVID, but yeah. even more so now. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, congratulations. You feel like a big boy. I have my big boy pants on. <laughs> Your big boy pants on. <laughs> okay. That's so good. Uh, why don't we start by reading chapter 13, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, but then include chapter 14, verse 1. So then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the sign that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast, the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. One of the big questions, of course, of my generation, maybe a little bit of your generation also was, what is the mark of the beast? How do I know if I have it? I want to make sure I don't get it. It was used to kind of like mark the who's in, who's out, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to kind of work our way through that as well. But let me just kind of put it this way. And that is, notice that we read chapter 14, verse 1 on purpose, because the mark of the beast is clearly, clearly contrasted with the seal of God. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that is, is that the mark of the beast and the seal of God are labels, are maybe a better way of saying it. The mark of the beast and the seal of God are to whom do you give your allegiance? They're signs of allegiance. If you give your allegiance to the beast or do you give your allegiance to the lamb? 
And what we'll discuss as, as we proceed, of course, is that the mark of the beast has this economic impact to it. You can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. So the first thing I'd simply say will be, don't worry about getting the mark of the beast. You either have it or you don't. It's not like something that you actually have to go to some shop or some store, or some government agency to actually get a tattoo or get a, a microchip put in your forehead or on your right hand. That's It's simply saying, to whom do you give your allegiance? And maybe the best way to start with this would be to simply to read Matthew chapter six. Hmm. Um, and so Matthew chapter six, it's one of those things I realized a while back that everyone knows Matthew six or they're aware of it as I read it. Most of you guys are going to become pretty, oh yeah, I remember this passage. But the force of this passage, I think, is actually lost, I think, in most Christian churches. So Matthew chapter six specifically, I mean, if we want to start in verse 18, that'd be a good place to start. But I'm sorry, verse 19 don't show up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one or you'll hate the other. But verse 25, for Jesus says, for this reason, I say, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body is what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And I, I'll stop there. I think a lot of Christians go, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. This great teaching of Jesus. Don't worry about your life. Jesus will provide for your food. He'll provide for your clothing. He'll provide for whatever you need to drink. But in reality, for us in America, Let's be honest, I don't worry about what I eat. And it's a segue for a second. I remember there was a call for a one-day fast during the, the Gaza war here, which is still ongoing as we're recording this. And it was for the ceasefire. You know, pray fast for a day for a ceasefire. And I thought, okay, during that day, I'm thinking, I have nothing to worry about. When this fast is over, I know what I'm eating. I, I've already marked out what I'm going to eat next and whatever. But the people in Gaza, they're fasting because they have no choice. And they're fasting because they have no idea where the next, if they're even going to have another meal. But the idea, though, is why is Jesus telling us in this great, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, even the climactic section of the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you're going to put on, um, because this doesn't seem to make much sense to the modern Western American church, who for the most part, we know what we're going to get. But I think the answer is because if you ally with the beast, then you'll have the security of food. If you ally with the beast, you have the security of, of clothing. But if you don't ally with the beast, if you follow Jesus, you can't serve two masters, right? If you follow Jesus really well in many empires of the world, you might have to worry about food and clothing. And Jesus' answer is, guess what? I'll take care of you. And the passage closes with verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of, of its own. I think hopefully that'll make more sense as we kind of go, go through this passage. Yeah, and even just something, as you were describing that, as I'm thinking to prepare to get into the passage, one of the questions you said, the question that you, in your generation, you're always trying to figure out who is this, what is yeah. this mark and that sort of thing. Even the question of the beast, we ask, who is the beast? And right. may, maybe it's a who, but maybe we should also ask the question, what is the beast? Because right. is this something that we need to actually personify and make into a one single person or this one political figure that we're looking for? It could also be a what? It could be a system. It could be a, an aggregate. It could be a conglomerate of things, not just one thing or one person. Yeah, exactly. And so here's what's interesting. Let's kind of go to the end a little bit. We went to mm -hmm. the end already. We'll go to the end again before we get back to the beginning. Those who literalize the text and say everything's to be taken literally... And therefore, the mark of the beast is somehow some literal mark on your forehead or on your right hand, the microchip, it's some credit card system or whatever it might be. What's interesting is they don't literalize the beast. 
Mm. I was, they don't actually believe in a seven-headed beast walking around when one mm-hmm, of its heads mm-hmm. was killed. It's like with ten horns. So they're taking the beast as imagery for Rome or the European Union or the uh, United Nations or something. But then they take the mark of the beast as some literal yeah. thing. It's like, stop, yeah. stop. Yeah. So yeah, good. good. Yeah. Right, make sure we get back to your question here. Like, what is the beast before we finish? We, we addressed it last time, but let's make sure we address it again this time also. Yeah. And do you want, do you want to hit that now? Or is that something you want to? Yeah, uh, that's fine. We can do that now. That, that, that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. The way I would distinguish between the two beasts would be this. The first beast, maybe the best word to use is empire. Mm-hmm. The beast represents empire. But there's a weakness with that because in Amer- in the modern world for us, we don't think as me- that we're that we're in an empire. No. We think of the this empire, the the Syrian empire, the Russian empire, the the Roman empire. We think a certain em- Chinese empire. We think of certain empires. So when I use empire, I'm referring basically to nations. The nations, those in power might be another another way of saying it. That's beast number one. Beast number two then would be the the religious side of the empire, the 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 political side of the empire, the, the propaganda side of the empire, the side of the empire that makes you believe the first beast, that makes you follow the first beast, makes you adopt the ideology, makes you believe in it, whatever it says is good, whatever it says is right, or whatever it says must be followed, right? You mm-hmm. might not agree with the empire, but you have to follow it in order for, for survival. Now, again, there's a problem with that. And that is in the ancient Roman world and many ancient empires, you don't distinguish between the political, the religious, the social, the economic, they're they're all kind of in in immersed. So remember that in the Roman world, the Roman religion was the cult of the empire emperor, The, the goddess Roma had established Rome to be the place where, from which Roma, the goddess Roma, ruled over the nations. So the emperor was put in place by the gods and submission to the emperor was submission to the gods. In fact, the Christians were, and the Jews by not submitting to the Roman gods were undermining the very fabric of the empire because the gods saw to the well-being of the empire and made sure that there were earthquakes and invasions and famines and things of that nature. So we have to understand, by the way, we want to say that there's a separation of church and state, but it's not as separated as you might want to think. But so think of the second beast, beast number two then, which and he's called the false prophet in chapter 16. And it might be easiest to simply say, beast number two is the false prophet, so saying beast one and beast two. So let's call one that one's the beast. That's the nations, the empire, the that uh, wh- whoever is in power. And the second is the false prophet. And the false prophet is the political, religious, propagandistic wing of the empire that gets you to worship and serve. And, and again, even worship in a modern, uh, modern context but to give your allegiance to the beast, to give your allegiance to the empire or to the nation's that propagandistic wing. How's that? Any, yeah, any, yeah. Any, any thoughts you have to, that you might want to add to that? No, I think it's good. And even just looking at time and how far we've spent, and how we haven't gotten to the text, I think some of this will still unfold as we go through today's passage. But it's even just starting off with a set of glasses as a presupposition to say, we need to ask the right questions and and look at the right thing moving yes. in. And so even we've, I think we talked about this way back when, just when we talked about how to read Revelation, if we're told that the book of Revelation is just about the future and about the end of the world, I'm going to read it in light of that because that's what I'm going to be looking for. Okay. And so same thing, if I'm, if I'm even in the back of my mind, if I'm thinking, oh, the beast, it's a person, I need to decode, I need to figure out who it is. Well, that's what I'm going to try to do rather than thinking not, not merely who it is, but what it is, right. that might just give me a different lens by which I can read the text. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, excellent. And maybe Vinny, if we want to go like instead of following the order of the things in our in our notes, kind of just looking at chapter four, chapter thirteen for a second here to kind of help see what we just said. So, so notice verse twelve. It says Revelation thirteen verse twelve. He he exercises all the authority of the first beast, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Mm-hmm. That's the point we're at. Verse fourteen. He performs signs, and verse fourteen. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs. Telling them, middle of verse 14, uh, those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast. And verse 15, it was given him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Mm. Ah, there's this. If you don't listen to the beast, and I'm telling you, here you go, why you need to listen to the beast, why you need to worship the beast, why it's this political, it's this uh, propagandistic religious wing of saying, the, the beast is good and, and he's in charge and he's in power mm-hmm. and we need to give our allegiance to him. And the consequence of that is if you don't, you're going to be killed. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, if you're not killed, well, guess what? I'm going to at least make you get a mark on your right hand or on your forehead. And if you don't have, and that mark is a, is a token of allegiance, you have done a lead, you give your allegiance to the beast. Again, it's not a literal mark. The idea is that if you give your allegiance to the beast, here's the, re, here's the response or the result. You can buy and sell. Mm-hmm. You can participate in the economy. And if you don't give your allegiance to the beast, you can't buy or sell. And that's where Matthew 6 comes in. Jesus comes along and says, guess what, guys? You can't serve two masters. You can't give your allegiance to the beast and to the lamb. Mm-hmm. And if you don't give your allegiance to the beast, guess what's going to happen? You can't buy or sell. Mm-hmm. But Jesus' answer is, well, why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about drink? Why do you worry about food? Look at the lows of the, of the field. Look at the birds of the air. If God takes care of them, will he not take care of you, O men of little faith? It's like, that's good, Jesus, but it's a lot easier when I got a job. Mm. It's a lot easier when I'm not in prison. So I, if that kind of a, a quick overview of the text to say how these two are working together, I think might help. And then we can kind of skip through some of our notes as we proceed. Yeah, it's a good. Quick question. I know that you normally read from the New American Standard. Yeah. Uh, you were just saying, and you might have been paraphrasing, but like verse 12, like he exercises all authority. D- does New American Standard read he or it? Uh, the New American Standard uh, reads he. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. I, yeah. I have ESV and NRSV up and they both read it. So even there, yeah. like how the translational decisions might inform how we're yeah. viewing those things. Yeah. Yeah. And of course it says it because it's being personified. It's, 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 sure, it's, clear, sure. but it's, it's a he. So uh, mm-hmm. it needs to be personified. And it could be a she, by the way, in terms of being personified in terms of if we want to, what is it that's yeah, causing yeah. you to give your allegiance to the beast it doesn't have to be just only men it could yes. be women that are part of the process of encouraging you to give your allegiance to the beast so like a harlot jezebel yeah exactly exactly yeah so okay. i know you said that in jest but it's very true no no I, that's <laughs> okay. it's coming from the text but yeah cool so we'll then call beast two the false prophet or that's another way of, of referring it to and this one comes from the land as opposed to the first one right. who comes from the sea. Why is this significant that John would be making this sort of distinction between, and we talked last week about what the sea means in the ancient world yeah. and that kind of idea of chaos and that sort of thing. What does it mean to come from the land though? Because that seems like a more secure, yeah. like it, it, the connotations don't sound as bad unless you, and this is, would be an interesting point. You did talk about the earth dwellers. Exactly. And so is that, okay. should I, as I be connecting the land to the earth dwellers? Cause that's where they're from right. or is, is, what's happening here? I don't think we would make that connection, but okay. let, let me point that out that we did discuss last week, those who dwell in heaven versus those who dwell, inhabit the earth. And so notice that those who inhabit the earth are a reference to humanity, not including God's people. Those who dwell on the mm-hmm. earth 
give their allegiance to the beast. Those who dwell on the earth will do this, but not you guys, not, not God's people. Be separate from that. So that's the distinction there. So I think the only thing that about the land dwellers or, or the beast coming from the land is what we discussed a, a couple weeks back. And I think we referenced it maybe once or twice, just kind of in passing. It's probably referenced to, to the Leviathan and the behemoth of the book of Job or the Old Testament mm -hmm. world, the ancient Near Eastern world. The Leviathan is a sea-going creature of chaos. The behemoth is a land-going creature of chaos. I think you have that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, or Genesis 1 and then 2, 3, where you have the, the, the sea creatures that God creates on the, on the fifth day. They inhabit the sea. They're made by God. And then, of course, you have a land creature, which is a snake. And those words, Leviathan and snake, are actually used interchangeably in Isaiah 27, verse 1. So it's, it's probably just picking up on that imagery of, well, we got a dragon, and then we got a beast from the sea, and then we got a beast from the land. The dragon, Satan, empowering these two beasts. I think it's just picking up on that, that Old Testament motif, we might say. Okay. Yeah, um, I wouldn't put any significance to it, in other words. Okay, because there's times where I think it's probably good and helpful to deep dive in and, and unfold yeah, the symbolism. Yeah, exactly. This one probably isn't as deep as, no. as we might want to try to make it. Okay. Right. In verse 11, we see that the false prophet has two horns like a lamb. And we talked last week about horns yes. and the significance of that. So should we conclude that this beast is also meant to be seen as good, just like the lamb is good? Exactly. And that's one of the key things then. We discussed last week that the first beast had descriptions, elements that actually imitate Jesus. One of his heads was as if it had been slain. And the point of that is it looks Christ-like. And I was, how are you going to deceive Remember, this was written to the church or to the people of God. How are the people of God going to be deceived by this? And John's like, hey, guys, don't be deceived. Oh, we won't. It's real obvious. If you, uh, We're not getting that mark on our forehead. That has nothing to do with the point. The point of that is this is deceiving you and us. So he has two horns like a lamb. Oh, but he spoke like a dragon. Guys, it's a dragon. The, the, the voice behind it is actually a dragon. Don't be deceived by the fact that it looks lamb-like. And so I think that's really important. And I'm just thinking of like Little Red Riding Hood or the the big bad wolf who's dressing up in the cartoons of like the Looney Tunes cartoons. And you have this wolf that's dressed up like a like something innocent. And it's like it looks like that, but it's actually the wolf behind it. So it's the same kind of idea yeah. as the appearance yeah. of something safe, but it really is not. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's get... how the beast gets you to worship it or how, you, mm -hmm. how the false prophet gets you to worship the first beast. It's really easy to say, see, it's got these good things. It does these things. It's this way. And it also makes it important, by the way, Vinny, as we kind of cut to the end again a, a little bit. When you try to expose the beast to those who are being deceived by the beast, the natural default when someone kind of critiques something and says you're wrong is to dig your heels in. Here's why I'm mm -hmm. right. And so I have all these reasons why I'm right. Well, guess what? The beast has all these positive features as to why yeah. it's right, why yeah. it's good, why it should be followed, why we should give our allegiance to it. But yeah, but you're giving allegiance to, well, in this instance, a nation an empire and empires have good things and good and, and they do good, but they're also empires. And oftentimes their motivations aren't as good as you might think. They want you to think it's good so that you vote for them. They want you to think it's good so that you keep paying taxes so that you don't, there's not an insurrection or a revolt, but we need to be careful and be able to critique the empire. And as this uh, episode goes live, I've been writing for the last couple of weeks, a number of blogs on this. Uh, I have a series of blogs in the fall of 2023 on the beast. And of course, in the fall of 2022 as well on the beast. And then here at the beginning of 2024, I'm writing some more blogs on, we need to understand what the beast is and what it looks like. And guess what? America is also part of the beast because it's one of the empires. In fact, it's the most powerful empire in the world today. It might be more beast-like than other nations. And that might be hard for people to accept. But as soon as I say that, 
people go, oh, oh, well, oh. and then I, my point is that's the beast. The beast getting you to be defensive as soon as we challenge that maybe America is the beast. Like, oh, no, no. Let's at least be open to the possibility instead of being resistant, because if we're being resistant, maybe if you and I, if, if I'm right, I won't put you in the, in the same boat, but if I'm right, maybe it's that's that we're being seduced by the beast then. Well, and just to take this to a purely practical level, if, if someone's listening to this feeling defensive right now, yeah, it counterfeits are meant to lure you in there. It's yeah. a counterfeit. It's, it's wanting to trick you. How many people every day, thousands of people every day get duped at credit card machines at gas stations because mm -hmm. they insert their credit card in something that they look, it looks like it's the authentic credit card reader at the gas station. No one's yeah. going to put their credit card into something that they know someone's going to steal their money from them. It's because it looks authentic. They're having that faith and they're saying, yeah, it might be, but it's probably not. And, and the counterfeits get them all the time. The same way how you're talking about excusing something away and justifying because of all the good qualities. How many of us are, are lured in by narcissistic leaders? And the thing is, we're lured in by their charisma or the, what they have to offer. And then we only find out later in the relationship that, that man, they're highly manipulative. But yeah. even there, whether it's a, a family member, a boss, a coworker, any kind of a relationship, we, we get hung up in the, well, this sort of thing seems off, but look at all these other things they offer. Look, look at how yeah, great yeah. of a leader or what they bring our organization or whatever. And we justify those things away because yeah. the counterfeit draws us in, even though this other thing is not good. No one's, a, a, most people, I don't want to use absolute language. Most people are not automatically attracted to toxic people who we know they're toxic. Right. Most people don't go after the Darth Vader's of life because they know they look scary. They appear scary, but you get right. sucked into someone who you would never assume is going to be that person. And so on our end, from the outside, we could look at a leader from, I forget who's in North Korea now, the Kim Jong-un, like we could look at that and say, okay, that's just all bad. I would never go and align with that. Right. But we're not seeing that counterfeit in our own culture. It might not look the yeah. exact same. It might not be as overt, but we're getting hung up in the same type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the default responses here is to simply say, well, America might be bad, but what are you, would a communist? You rather communist? Be, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Would you rather be this? Would you rather, if you don't like it, move somewhere. It's like, that's not the point. No. The point is that I live in this country I and and therefore that's great. I pay my taxes and whatever, but we need to be also able and willing to critique it. Yes. Especially when our Christian witness is at stake. So yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Hey everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access. But we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. So this false prophet, then its role is to be a deceiver in, in, in first, like in verse 14, it deceives those who inhabit the earth. All, all would this just be not just earth dwellers? I guess it's just earth dwellers. Those who are not in the kingdom of God. Well, yep. But its aim is to deceive the people of God. Okay. And that's why John's writing it. He's writing to the church to, to warn the church. And here's another danger of, of end times theology. And that is you guys are all deceived. You guys are all damned. You guys are all going to hell. We're the ones that are in the light. We're, it's like, no, the reality is the beast is focusing on us and on us is 
whether we give allegiance to Christ, whether we give allegiance to something else, we have to be careful about this us-them mentality. Us, we're all being seduced by the beast in some way, shape, or form. And John's trying to simply say, if you give your allegiance to Christ, you need to stop giving allegiance to the beast also. Mm-hmm. And that, the mm-hmm. beast would be money. It could be power. It could be yeah. comfort, security, sex, family. It could be all those things that when you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, you said, I'm repenting of these things. That's good. We okay. In verse 12, just kind of skipping around here, it, yeah. it talks about how the false prophet exercises the authority of the first beast. So what does that mean? Does that mean it's equal? Does it mean it's just supporting the first beast? How, how are the two re- related? Are they co-equal? Well, they wouldn't be co-equal in, in some ways. Obviously, the one that's in power is the one that's in power. This mm-hmm. is the wing of the empire that's trying to make sure that you give your allegiance to the beast. So the beast would be more, would be superior in that sense. But the point of that, again, is the fact that their authority comes from the dragon. So mm. the empire, the comfort, security, prosperity it offers, which, of course, it offers primarily, and this is where people are going to be like, oh, I don't know if I like this. This is Jesus. And that is the, the security it offers actually only benefits a few. Mm. The mass of people, especially in the Roman Empire, but even in our world today, the mass of people are the ones who pay the price. The poor, the marginalized, often are the ones who are paying the price and suffer at the expense of those in power. And I guess we can touch on it even here. In American politics, there's a lot of good things in it, in the democratic system. But those in power, their first responsibility is to stay in power. Even Mm -hmm. I'm a good politician. I want to stay in power because I don't want a bad politician to take my place. I'm going to do good things. But as that politician whose job is to stay in power... The first thing I have to do then is to give uh, support and allegiance and favors to those who got me in power. Because Mm -hmm. if I don't, I can't stay in power. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, it's not the poor. It's the corporations and the lobbyists and the ones with money that are the ones that are are securing the votes. And as a result of that, if I want to do what's right, I will most likely lose the votes. Because they'll, those in power, the, the lobbyists and the ones with money, will make sure that somebody else comes into power that does what, they, what those companies want them to do or the corporations or lobbyist interests want them to do. And so that's the problem, that even in this system, those who want to do good are limited and restricted oftentimes. And the favors are usually not at the expense of the poor. They're at the expense of the poor, but not for the benefit of the poor. They're for the benefit of the wealthy. Yeah. Verses 12 through 15, it, it, continuing to describe the false prophet, it it applies a lot of miraculous abilities and specifically to deceive. That's the purpose of the abilities. Why do you think this is, is the case? What, why the miraculous stuff? Or that which appears at least to be miraculous. Appears yeah. miraculous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it could, remember again, like in the story in Exodus, of course, the Pharaoh's magicians, there's mm. uh, sticks, whatever you call them. They're, they're staff. I was going to say they're wands, they're too much Harry Potter. <laughs> but their staffs became serpents also. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be that Moses' staff became a serpent and swallowed. So you have this imagery of, hey, they can do these things that look good also. Uh, and the answer is because that's how, how you get allegiance. Uh, you, you get allegiance by showing power, and, and that power can be manifested in such a way that, that it's deception. I'm not sure that we're giving actual miraculous abilities to this beast as much as it just looks like they actually have miraculous abilities. I know that we've talked about how the dragon and the two beasts are a parody of the the Trinity. This is an unholy Trinity. And so since the Trinity is doing miraculous things, you would assume that's happening. But is this one of those times where we should be looking back at Exodus imagery in in the Revelation story? Yeah. Which we'll see a lot of in chapter 16 and whatnot. So this is just another one of those allusions to the Old Testament story in the Exodus. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And a Jewish person would have probably recognized that like, oh, wow, this is just like, yeah, I'm remembering of Passover and hearing the stories as a kid. And it's, it's that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Remember Exodus provides the template for everything else that happens after it. So even when the Babylonian yeah. empire is being described as coming in, they're going to conquer you. They're being described in ways of Pharaoh, or ways of Egypt. The Assyrians being described as ways of Pharaoh, ways of e Rome being described in ways of Pharaoh, ways of Egypt. So it's all, Arab, Egypt becomes the template. Okay. So along with this, the false prophet is ensuring obedience. And we read this in verses 15 through 17, which leads into the Mark type language in imagery. Exactly. And the question is, well, how does he ensure obedience and allegiance? And the answer is because if you don't give allegiance, you cannot participate in the economic system of the empire. Mm -hmm. So just think of it as, as if you speak up, I'm thinking there's so many different examples that we can kind of give here, and some are more fitting than others. So you speak up about your company's corrupt practices, mm -hmm. that they're making money and profiting. Mm -hmm. yeah. you're, you're a whistleblower. Guess what happens mm -hmm. to you? You lose your job. So you, you go along with it. The company's cheating on their taxes. The company's doing this, but you don't report them because you go ahead and maintain your job. And it could be something small, but sure. it's still inappropriate. You don't report them because you want to make sure that you maintain your job. But if you speak up, guess what happens to you? You might not get the promotion. You might not get, hey, we need everybody to work on this day. Well, I'm sorry, I got this family event. I really, I told you beforehand. You know, so when am I going to sacrifice? Let's say it's let's say you have a, a belief that you don't you shouldn't work on Sunday. Let's just say that's your your belief. The company comes and says you have to work on Sunday. It's just required for everybody, mandatory that we got to get this project finished. Look, I can't work. So there might be consequences for that. So do I compromise my beliefs? I, I would simply say, well, it might be okay. But if you have a conviction that scripture says no then there becomes a consequence of whether you violate or don't violate that. But think now about this also now, and let's take it to more, more kind of, what's what I want, more sharpened. Okay. Point, a more pointed point. I know people that are fearful about speaking up against Israel today because they're going to sure. lose listeners. They're going to yep. lose, they're going to lose support. Yep. And this is a common problem in our churches. I'm going to kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth for a second. There's a lot of pastors that are afraid to be prophetic because they're going to lose con congregants. Mm. And if I'm prophetic, they're going to go to the church next down next door and we, we can't keep our doors open. Now, there's a point at which that is actually appropriate. The pulpit is not the place to be, to be overly prophetic from. But yeah. at the same time, you should still be prophetic, whether it's in some other settings or whatever. You should still be setting the context of saying, we don't condone war. We support justice and peace for the sake of everyone. And you, you know, find a Christ-like way of saying this. But at the same time, you've got this larger con, maybe it's political issues. So you, you don't bring them up. But what's happened as a result of the fact that the pulpit's not the best place to do it, I'm trying to be pastoral and prophetic, and we, you know, we, is the fact that most pastors are not prophetic at all. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're pastoral, great, important, but they're not prophetic at all because... I don't want to say something and lose my congregations. Uh, maybe another another example of any. There are a lot of pastors that have been at churches for 20, 25, 30 years, especially mainline churches. They've been at this church for 20, 25 years or more. And the debate is, what do we do with the music? And what do we yeah. do with this? And what do we do with this? And, and how do we reach the young people? And the old people are the ones that pay the bills for the most part. In most churches, it's still pretty true that the older people give a lot more money. And so you realize this tension. Now, you're trying to be pastoral to both groups. But what happens is a lot of these pastors, like they're 60, 62. 
I don't want to upset the apple cart. I just want to retire in a couple of years. I'll let somebody else come in and, and, let, and let them shake it up. And I, I, I totally agree with you. We need to shake it up a little bit. These people are wrong, but it's not worth it for me to fight this battle. It's like, you're compromising. And what's actually happening is when that younger pastor comes in to replace you, you're making it impossible for them to succeed. Mm -hmm. Because, well, we had pastor so-and-so for 25 years and he never said, or she never said this. Why didn't, if, if that's really true, why didn't they do anything about it? they? And so everyone just defaults to that, that allegiance to the older pastor. The newer one wants to come in and make changes and it's impossible. It's critical for that older leader who has the allegiance of the congregation to lead the change. Now, I know that isn't on the topic of the beast per se or, or whatever, but that's just an example where these pastors have been silenced because they're afraid to speak out. And maybe it's an issue of Israel, Palestine. And you hear about churches who speak out against a, a, a political figure, Trump or Biden. I'll, I'll rip on both. I, they're, I'm sorry, they're sure. both corrupt. Yep. So Trump and his ethical problems and the things he's done and the, the tapes that come out with him doing radically horrible things and him making fun of handicapped people. We've got to speak out against this. Oh, mm -hmm. we can't do that because I'll lose too many members. Oh, and then Biden's a warmonger. That's mm -hmm. just, Biden wants to fight wars. He, he likes mm -hmm. wars because that's, he's getting him a lot of political favors from the corporations. Yep. So we have problems on both sides. That doesn't mean that I'm not a Republican or that I'm not a Democrat or that I'm favoring one side or the other. It's like, no, I'm speaking truth. And we have to critique empire. Well, you just don't love America because you, you're writing blogs, Rob, about how America is the beast. And so I was like, that actually is as American as you can get. Free yep. speech and the freedom of the press is a founding principle of, of a democratic system. And guess what we're doing? We're causing wars because our corporations want us to cause wars. And we're not causing wars for the sake of justice. Now, we'll see how many listeners we have next week. So yeah. I'll, I'll just edit that out, Vinny. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to get it <laughs> off my chest and make sure you heard it. So, yeah. well, um, and, and I just want to add one minor thing in terms of going back to the idea of preacher in the pulpit, maybe not being prophetic. There's also times where they're the wrong kind of prophetic. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how often do we hear the, the pastor who, we might think they're being prophetic because they're constantly they're preaching through the minor yeah. prophets and railing against culture. Whereas yeah. Yeah. The, the point of the prophet is their covenant enforcers. They call the people yeah. of God to repentance and to exactly. obey Torah. Whereas by, by the pastor going out and preaching yeah. through Malachi or Habakkuk and saying, and look at how corrupt society is and look at all these things and not challenging the church. Yes. Well, you think you're being prophetic, but you're actually not because you're not calling God's people to repentance. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And evidence that you're not being prophetic is then the fact that you're comforting those in the pews. Yes, exactly. The ones who are listening to you, they yep. like what you say. Yep. You're comforting yep. them. That's not what a prophet does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent point. So, yeah, so I would have said that myself. Yeah. You could write it about it in your next book and just footnote me. <laughs> well, with AI technology, I could probably change your voice to my. <laughs> You should change my face too. That'll make you look cuter. <laughs> we, we both need too much work. I can't, a, even true. AI has limits. There's not enough plastic <laughs> surgery in this world. Let's talk about the mark. We've been waiting, okay. making people wait yeah. for 35 minutes. But this is, like you said, it's not this literal thing we're looking for. It's not something that can be observed in terms of a physical identification. It can be observed in terms of your fruit. If we want to use that kind of language, we could see your allegiance, but this is an indication of ownership. So what, so we, we would say that this mark is true. It's a true thing that John is talking about. This, this mark is a true thing. It's not fiction, right. but it doesn't mean it's a literal or physical thing, right? We want right. to nuance that out. Exactly. Uh, the mark is contrasted by the seal of God, which we're going to see in a few minutes. 
And it's and maybe another way of saying it is the mark is a sign of allegiance. To whom do you give allegiance? And this goes back to the very foundation of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is Lord. To come to faith in Christ is to say, you're Lord, I'm not. You're Lord, money's not. You're Lord, my government's not. You're Lord, my family's not. You are Lord and no one and nothing else is. Mm -hmm. But we all know, Vinny, and you and I would be the first to say it, that when we come to faith in Jesus as Lord, that doesn't mean that I still don't give my allegiance to things otherwise at, at times. Sure. Sure. I, I still don't take comfort in I'm worrying about where my paycheck's going to come from. I'm worrying I'm going to get money from. That's why Jesus yep. is saying, don't worry about food and clothing. Seek first his kingdom. So there's that tension that remains in the Christian life. So now that doesn't mean that you have the mark of the beast. It just means that you're compromising mm -hmm. with the mark of the beast. And I guess at some point in time, that compromise is too great. And you've denied your allegiance to Jesus and whatever that might be. But... Uh, yeah, so it's not a literal mark in that sense, other than it's a, a sign of to whom do you give your allegiance. Yeah, and I love that the word allegiance is starting to be used more, even in just in theological and biblical discourse. For, I actually had a conversation with a, a mutual friend that we have. He was in town, in my town, a couple weeks ago, and we hung out, and he's a pastor. Oh. And he was talking about how to talk with his congregation about that deeper aspect of discipleship and, and yeah. getting rid of the evangelical, just born again, where the born againisms where you just, I prayed a prayer and now I'm just living. And, yeah. it, and so I introduced that idea of allegiance as I was describing just, and I oh, just, just kind of came out naturally of it's who is our allegiance to. And for him, it was like, right. whoa, this is, it's a biblical concept. I mean, this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about where is your citizenship and, and how could you not think about this in a, as a Roman citizen? thinking, okay, who is my allegiance to? Is it to Caesar or is it to Christ? And so even, even why Paul, he was someone who utilized his, we'll call it a Roman passport, even though those didn't exist back then. You, know, you, you see in the book of Acts where there was times where he had to pull his Roman citizenship card, but that wasn't the first thing he did. And it wasn't to say, look at how exceptional I am because I'm a citizen of Rome. It was always a means to then get once again, back to the gospel and to the, mm -hmm. uh, preaching the resurrection and, and the good news of Jesus's kingdom. Yeah. And so that's something yeah. where your life is identified by the allegiance and to, to whom you have it towards. And this is something that we need to take more seriously, especially in a God bless Billy Graham, but in, in, a, in a day and age of just pray the prayer. And now you got to go to heaven when you die, the fire insurance method yeah. of, of looking at what it means to be a Christ follower. No, it's, it's much more than that. And if we just win people with that, that's all they're going to be resting on is I said the prayer, I'm good. We have arguments about once saved, always saved. And it's like, that's right, just not right. the, as someone who's in the reformed tradition, and I don't have a problem with the concept of the perseverance of the saints theologically. And I, I think Calvin gets that right, but we oftentimes, and I, we might disagree on that. You and me. Yeah. Uh, yeah we might. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm also not going to say because I'm elect, therefore I just, I know I'm good. Exactly. No, it's, it's exactly. so much exactly. deeper than that. And and, that, and that's missing so much of the biblical story when we just sit in those sort of arguments. Who is my allegiance to? And am I persevering? Am I overcoming? What, what does that look like? Am I taking those other passages of scripture seriously? Or am I just theologizing right. how I would read even especially a book like Revelation? Am I giving into the beast? Yeah. yeah. And to speak pastorally one more second here and add to that, and that is if you're listening to this and you're struggling with, I don't know if I'm giving allegiance to the beast or the lamb, like mm -hmm. wrong question to ask. Yeah. Just start following the lamb. Yep. Make it your prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit, help and equip me to follow exactly. the Lamb wherever he goes, which is Revelation 14, verse 4. These are the ones who follow the Lamb. So we, we all give allegiance to the beast at times. So at some point, perhaps, there might be this line of demarcation that we've gone so mm -hmm. far that we've, we're not actually following the Lamb anymore. But 
if you're concerned, it's like, stop, let's work through that. Let's not just dismiss it. Obviously we're being on a, we're on a podcast. So we're not sitting with people in front of us where we, we might work, walk through it and counsel them in a more uh, concerned manner, but, but start by simply acknowledging sin and self-centeredness, insecurities, or the desire for comfort, power, pleasure, and acknowledging, repenting of that and doing your best to follow the lamb by the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel, is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. So this false prophet, he's really making sure that everyone can conform to the empire and the ways of the empire by forcing everyone, whether you're great, small, rich, poor, free slaves. It makes me think of, sorry, Galatians 3.28 language, like you're neither Jew or Gentile, male, female, slave or free. It's like all those people could be in Christ Jesus. And guess what? All those other people can also be in the beast, if you will, and heirs to the offspring of the beast. You got something? Okay. So yeah, let's stop for a second on that. So chapter 13, verse 16 that you're referencing, he yeah. causes all... Now, what I hope you have learned to do by now, as you're, those who are listening, when you're reading the book of Revelation is you got to count. It's a list, small and the great, rich and the poor, free men and the slaves. Oh, there's only six things in the list. Uh-huh. Okay. Remember? Ooh, interesting. So John puts, interesting. Yeah, he puts things. Yeah, very. So you got, he puts things in a list of seven very often or yeah, four. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. But this list has, has six. Next thing to notice, it starts with a small and the and great. Gets to, okay, yeah. Notice, notice the, it's the rich and the poor, the free the and the slaves. The, the first one is, see, most lists, it starts with the kings yes. and the generals and the commanders, and then it works its way down. This starts with the small. And the idea, I think, behind that, or the significance of that is, and I probably might go back and edit my commentary because I don't think this is in my commentary, and that is that the beast is impacting the poor and the marginalized, this is a more, a greater temptation for them because they lack what the empire offers. They lack access to food on a consistent basis. They lack access to comfort and security. So if I give my allegiance there, I, I got it. Now, obviously those in power, if they stop giving allegiance, they might lose their power, but they're not worried. I think the smaller are the ones who are worried about this more often. So I think that's interesting. Well, even right, looking at the on. historical background though, I'm thinking back to when we had Dr. Warren Carter on, what did he say? 90 to 97% of the Roman empire is going to be living hand to mouth, like extreme poverty yeah. in an American 90, 90%. Con- yep. Is it 90? Okay. In is an that- American context, gosh, even our poor, and I don't want to minimize our poor, right? Yeah, right, we have right, significant right. socioeconomic issues and, and disparity and equity, but even our poor nowadays, what we would consider poor would probably have more access and more than the poor of the Roman empire. Would you say that? Safe Very much say? so. Yeah, very okay. much so. We can't dismiss the fact that there are Cannot kids in that. America that go to don't bed hungry every that. night, nope. that nope. don't have nope. food at school. Yeah, yes. a- absolutely. Yep. This is something that John is writing to in exactly. a, a community in extreme poverty, even more so than what we have. And he's saying, you guys, the, these are the ones who are going to be affected. How much more is it for us <laughs> to where even our middle class would be like the rich of back then? I, I'm middle class. Okay. I'm middle class, man. And I, who knows where I'm at? I live in the Bay Area, so I'm probably lower You're, you're upper class. class. I hate to tell you. You're <laughs> upper class. You, well, I you don't have a lot yeah. of class personally, but economically, you're, you're, yeah, we're upper class. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's uh, even, even we're tempted by this and we're affected yes. by this. Man, I, like this is fair game for everyone. It is, and we're kind of going uh, off a little bit again, but this is, I think, really helpful, and that is... There's so much more, uh, practical application of pastoral the, the, stuff in here. We are more 
in tune with the beast than we think. Yes. We're more wed to the beast than we think. We are more, and it's, when we read Matthew 6, we, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us, the force of why do you worry about food? Why do you worry? That, that doesn't impact me a whole lot. That yeah. tells me what? I'm more like Rome than I am like the, the ones to whom John is writing. I, I'm more like, yeah. in accordance with those in power, Oh, I'm more like Theophilus, to whom the Gospel, the gospel of yep. Luke was written to, yep. than I am the, the readers of the Gospel of Luke. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yep. That's good. So no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark, though. My question is going to be, what is that meaning of buying and selling? Do we want to hit that now, or do we want to hit that later? It means participating in the economic system. But why would that mark affect you? And how is this one of those instances in which we would have to know the background of buying and yeah. selling of the Roman world with well, the guilds and whatnot? Is that pertinent? Yeah, to... that, there would be a practical way of referring to that. I think that's correct, but I don't want to limit our understanding to that. So okay, what you're okay. getting at is, and I think we've addressed this a few other times here yeah. and there, but the idea of that is if you don't sacrifice to the gods of the trade guild, you can't participate in that trade. If you can't participate in that trade, no one hires you to work in that trade. No one buys your goods if you make those goods in that trade. You're economically ostracized. You think of Acts chapter 19, I think it is, where great is mm -hmm. Artemis of the Ephesians. This, they're, they're trying to destroy the god, but they're not only trying to destroy, bring down the goddess, they're also causing economic ruin. Okay, So you have this, if you worship, there are periods later on in the Roman Empire where you have to burn it. They found out that Christians were not burned incense before an image of the emperor because their Bible says they cannot have any other gods. Mm -hmm. So during persecutions, they would make Christians go before the empire, emperor, burn incense before the image of the emperor, and swear allegiance, and the Christians wouldn't do it. And now we know how to mark out the Christians and the Jews, yeah. and we persecute them. Now, that's very limited. So I don't want us to, to think, oh, that's the application of this, because that rarely happens. And that yep. wasn't happening at the time of John. But that's an example, uh, like an extreme example. You're giving allegiance to the empire, to, to the nation, to the propaganda wing, to the religious part of it, whatever it might be, to the political side of it, American na Christian nationalism, whatever it might be. And as a result of that, you get to participate and flourish economically. Those who are mm -hmm. speaking against it struggle economically or ostracized economically or struggle. Maybe they're imprisoned. That's, I think, the larger picture. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, okay. okay, so they are in verse 18 now. Let me make sure. Yep. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So the number is 666, but it's a man. And this isn't the only place we see in the Bible the number 666. So we okay, should, once again, this is something good. where we jump back yeah. to the Old Testament. Yeah, at least to the, un the cultural understanding of 666, uh -huh. which comes from the, the Old Testament scriptures, and it was there in other cultures also. The first thing to notice is that the one who, here is wisdom, verse 18, let the one who has understanding calculate. John's readers were supposed to be able to figure it out. Mm. It's actually an imperative. If you have understanding, calculate this. You can figure this out. So there's a sense where we might say he's speaking in code. Sure. Okay, that's that, that's fine. It's not what we kind of think of as we've addressed before. The understanding is this had to have made sense to John's reader. So if someone comes along and says, oh, it's a soda can and the barcode 666 or some <laughs> the COVID vaccine, there's no yeah. way because John's readers knew what it was. They were exhorted. You know what I'm talking about. You can figure this out. This goes Good. back to our first introduction. This goes back to Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what yeah. is written for the time is near. This is one of those things that they need to hear and keep yeah. and, and, and hold to, right? Yeah, because they, they can hold to it because they know what mm -hmm. it means. 
Yes. If this was something about the 21st century or 20th century nuclear war, as Hal Lindsey would say, or yeah. something about barcodes or something about uh, computer chips, it wouldn't have made any sense to them. And how, yeah. how, do, how can they be blessed by reading it and doing what it says, um, yeah. let alone calculating it out? So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, really quick, quickly here is the number 666 actually has a prehistory in the ultimate world. Uh, I'll just reference it here and I'll put it in the show notes. But First Kings chapter 10, verse 14 says that Solomon received 666 talents of gold every year. Now, when an author uses an exact number like that, he's telling you, I want you to know about the number. It's mm -hmm. clearly looking at the passage. This is a bad thing. Remember the kings, we, by the way, we read the Solomon and go, oh, he chose wisdom, so God blessed him. That's why he was so wealthy. And we actually think Solomon's the good guy in the story because he's wealthy, and look at what he does. Yeah. It's like He's the bad guy in the story. Kings were not allowed to accumulate massive amounts of wealth. That comes from the book of Deuteronomy 17. I'll put that in the show notes also. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 17. And so they couldn't acquire many horses and many chariots, and Solomon did all those things. So he's not a good guy. There's all those stories as well. The image of in Daniel, I think it's Daniel 3. The image that they wouldn't worship, it was 60 uh -huh. cubits by yep. 6 cubits. Yep. And that's 60 by and, and cubits. Not It doesn't translate in most of our modern Bibles. And then there's six items, and there's like a harp, a flute, a lyre, six musical instruments. Mm -hmm. And those, he's described in, in beast-like terms with uh, scales and things like so you see all this imagery resonating there so 666 is clearly understood in the ancient context to represent well we would simply say in in, in the new testament world the devil satan evil that which undermines and is opposed to the rule of god which you might assume to be 777 mm -hmm. representing the father son the spirit the divine trinity that, that's probably legitimate even though that's not yeah. specified or spelled out in the book of revelation so if I'm John's audience then, and especially a Jewish person who's familiar with the Old Testament, I'm I'm already hearing the number is 666, and I'm like, okay, right off the bat, that's an ominous number for me because of my Old Testament history. But how are they interpreting this? What are they hearing? Okay, yeah. Let's say, okay, short yeah. answer is this. Let's get into it and actually spend more time on it next week. Yeah. The short answer right now, and I think what we need to do, Vinny, is maybe do a second episode next week to kind of flush a few more things out. I want to point out in more detail next week how the text tells us that the mark of the beast is contrasted with the seal of God. That's very clear. That's why we read mm -hmm. chapter 14, verse 1. So we'll flesh that out a little bit more next week also, and then we'll finish up some more of this discussion as well. But but simple answer for right now that I alluded to last time, and we'll discuss more in our next episode, is the beast is Nero. 666 and the beast absolutely refers to Nero, and that's widely agreed upon. There's actually a textual variant in chapter 13, verse 18, that some of your Bibles have a little footnote on. Some say the number is 616. And we'll discuss this, why that's the case next week. 616 is actually Nero also. Mm -hmm. 666 is Nero, but it's a little harder to come by. And so some, I think some scribes looking at this later on, a couple of generations later or centuries later, are looking, hey, wait a minute, the beast is Nero, but Nero's number is 616. So let's mm -hmm. explain that in the next episode. How's that? Okay. I guess I'll make a quick note, and that is, that doesn't mean that 666 only refers to Nero. Correct. 666 refers to empire, giving allegiance to anyone or anything other than the lamb. It also means that we sometimes freak out when you're in and out in your order number 666. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they only go to 100, but we freak out yeah. like the number in and of itself is this evil number combination. That's not what it's talking about. The, the number is representing something. And so numbers in and of itself are esoteric. It's just numbers. Uh, yeah. But it's what is yeah, this like, thing representing that is evil? Yeah, like my driver's license. 
Exactly. You literally are embodying six. I was born in six to 66. And so this whole, I just thought I was the beast my whole life. Yeah. And then I began to realize, oh, other people were born in 666. Are, are there many beasts? And then I came to understand the scriptures and realized, oh, it's not me. <laughs> and I got saved. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing I would say as we wrap up, chapter 13, this is the one of those popular chapters yeah. in the book of Revelation from a popular standpoint, because everyone's always trying to figure out yeah, who yeah. is the beast? Yeah, what yeah. is this mark? We're infatuated with this, especially over the last hundred years of American history. Yes. And when, and there's been ample trees that have been given their lives to the sacrifice of, of talking about this. Right? Yeah. However, it, it, we didn't get through our notes today and most of our notes are, it's going through the text. How many times were we just interjecting pastoral ethics, right, right, uh, right. practical application for today? And we oftentimes forget with a passage like this, how applicational this is. Exactly. We've spent so much more time on application. There's so much here. There's a gold mine, yeah. but we've been trained to think that this is just future stuff. And we read the newspaper to figure it out. And do you avoid getting an Apple phone or an Apple watch? Because these are the things that go to your <laughs> ear and your right hand. And this is how you buy and sell with Apple pay. And this thing is like, no, this is, there's so much application. This isn't just a speculation chapter. There is, we could spend a whole year on this chapter and just develop application. We could spend a whole hour on the Apple watch conversation too. Cause I think there's another, <laughs> there's another side to it. For sure. Uh, for sure. Yeah. And that, but so really quickly here, what's interesting Vinny is your generation and above, including my generation and older, this was a huge issue. This is what we, we traumatized over. What's the beast? Am I going to get the mark? Is it this? But mm -hmm. you can't accept credit cards. You're going to get a yep. microchip for your bank account and yep. swipe your hand or your forehead. Do it in your forehead because they can chop your yep. hand off easier than they can chop your forehead off. Yep. It's kind of weird if somebody pulled your head out of a bag. Hey, let me just use this card. But they, they swipe it on their hand and the person at the register might not notice. Right. It's a much greater issue for our generation in terms of what is the beast. The younger generation doesn't care. They don't care about end time stuff. They don't care about the rapture. They don't care about it. But you need to care, as you just pointed out, because the whole point of this passage is to whom do you give allegiance? Yes. Yeah. To whom do you give allegiance? That's what's really going on. So Blessed are those who hear and keep the words of this prophecy. The time is now. Yeah. Cool. And you cannot build a foundation on anyone other than Christ. Amen. You cannot serve two masters. So next week, and Bill Belichick, next week, so right, next week, gonna... we hope to finish out and really dive in, get deeper yeah. into the Mark, the Beast, chapter 13 yeah. stuff, figure that stuff out. And then this rolls into 14. So once again, yeah. don't let chapter and verse divisions yeah. affect a cloud how you read a passage. This is part of one story. That's right. And we'll go yeah. through 14.5 at least next week. The following week, we'll try to do 14.6 as far as we can get, maybe all the way through 16. We'll discuss Armageddon, at least bring that conversation up. And then we'll get into the, the harlot 17, 18, which is really relevant, really applicational. Mm -hmm. We'll talk mm -hmm. about the millennium and weeks upcoming. We'll talk about Armageddon. So we'll kind of get into those issues as they go and really kind of bring this book to a climax. We'll be done in a couple of weeks. A <laughs> couple of years, three and a half years. All right. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying your new year. Enjoy our discussion of the beast. We'll see you guys next time. I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast and we would love for you to share the work of determined truth with others please follow this podcast and give a review on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people